Hello, my name is Brad Onishi, Associate Professor of Religious Studies at Skidmore College, and I'm also the co-chair of the Secularism and Secularity Group at the AAR with my colleague, Dr. Professor Holsetter. And in preparation for our panel on uh, Black Secularism and Free Thought, uh, we wanted to uh, interview each of the panelists about their books so that we could provide those uh, via audio file um, to anyone who is interested in order not only to enrich the live discussion, but uh, to make it available to those who cannot join uh, the live AAR uh, feed. And so today uh, I have an interview uh, with one of our panelists and that panelist is Dr. Uh, Nathan Alexander. Dr. Alexander is the author of the recent book, Race in a Godless World, Atheism, Race and Civilization, 1850 to 1914 from NYU uh, Press. And, uh, Dr. Alexander is a former postdoc at the Max uh, Weber Center and received uh, his PhD from St. Andrews University. So, um, Dr. Alexander, thanks for joining me uh, on our interview today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, I, I just wanted to start and uh, asking everyone on the panel, you know, the same question. So, I guess your book is, is uh, fantastic. I've read it. I've interviewed about you about it actually previously for my podcast. Um, but I'll just ask you, you know, in very simple terms, um, what is the main thesis of Race in a Godless World? Uh, what is your main argument there? Yeah, so I guess the main argument is, well, I should just say I, uh, what I'm looking at is um, British and American atheists and other free thinkers um, and looking at their, their attitudes toward race. And in particular, I looked at mostly white atheists and, and free thinkers because they were disproportionately represented in the, the free thought movement. Um, but that's, that's not to say that there were no uh, atheists and free thinkers of color, but that um, the white, white atheists and free thinkers were, were disproportionately represented. So that's why I've, I focused on them. And they are the main people writing in, in these free thought newspapers and uh, and so on. So with that in mind, the, the main sort of finding of the book, I guess, is, is that there's some kind of ambivalence about their attitudes toward race. So on the one hand, uh, these white atheists and free thinkers, <clears throat> they seem to accept that, um, they seem to accept racial science that said white people were the, the superior race, um, they accepted ideas that Western civilization was sort of the, the peak of, of civilization. Um, so that, and that was sort of in line with general thinking uh, among white people in the 19th century. Um, but then on the other hand, there's also this um, more sort of um, uh, subversive discourse, I guess, among, among atheists and free thinkers. Uh, they, they actually questioned uh, for example, mm, racial prejudice and as sort of mm, something rational. So they thought <clears throat> didn't make necessarily didn't make any sense to rank uh, one race ahead of another. Um, and they were also skeptical about claims that um, you know that their own societies were better than non-Western, non-white societies. And the, the reason for that sort of contradiction is that um, many, many of these white atheists and free thinkers found themselves marginalized um, within their societies. 
so this was because uh, for one thing, I mean, obviously at the time, atheists were, were sort of a marginalized minority. Um, they were seen as, as you know, immoral um, because of their, their religious views and they were treated with suspicion and they suffered different kinds of legal penalties as well as social penalties for, for their views. So this is one thing that sort of informs their skepticism toward you know, the, the superiority of their, their own societies. But they're also often from the, the working classes as well. So they're, um, they're sort of uh, economically kind of uh, disadvantaged. And this again leads them to be skeptical about um, how, how great their society is. And since their society is so bound up with Christianity, again, this makes them you know, question how, how can their own society be, be the superior if, if Christianity is the dominant religion and they're, the atheists are sort of pushed to the margins. So, um, so I think that that sort of ambivalence, that kind of paradox, I suppose, um, is really the central argument of the book. That's great. Thanks, thanks for outlining that for us. I guess one more follow-up would just be, uh, could you just give us one or two examples of some of the, the atheists or free thinkers that you highlight uh, in the book? Yeah, well, one, one, one example sort of, of the contradiction, I think, is, is this atheist in Britain called Charles Bradlaugh. He was probably the most, mm, well, it's debatable, I guess, but he's one of the most famous uh, atheists in, in Britain in the 19th century. He was um, the first openly atheist member of parliament. And uh, he was elected in, oh geez, maybe 1880, I believe. And then it, there was sort of a struggle for him to take his, his seat because um, there was a controversy over him swearing an oath. But anyway, one of the interesting things about Bradlaugh is he supported, um, or he was interested in this idea of um, polygenesis, which is um, kind of an idea that all human races had a separate, separate origin, which is in contrast to the Christian idea of monogenesis, which said that all, all races had a single origin um, in, in the Christian view in Adam and Eve. Um, so, so Bradlaugh was interested in polygenesis because it seemed to undermine the Christian, uh, the Christian view of, of uh, the origins of humanity and the sort of the biblical stories about, about creation. Um, but but uh, Bradlaugh supporting polygenesis meant that um, he was, you know, he was really supporting racial science that, that sort of uh, emphasized the differences between different racial groups. Um, and so he, he's drawing upon the work of fairly prominent uh, scientific racists in, in Britain and the United States. Um, so, that's, so that's on the one hand for Bradlaugh, but the, the interesting thing about him is that um, in his politics, he was, he was an anti-imperialist and he, he protested against um, abuses in the British Empire against, for example, the Maori in New Zealand. And he was a big champion of, of uh, India, which was a British colony. And one of the really interesting things that I happened to find out was that um, because of 
Bradlaugh's championing of India. Um, actually, when Bradlaugh died in 1891, his funeral was attended by Gandhi, who was at the time um, just uh, studying in, studying law in, in Britain. And he was, um, and many other Indians who were living in Britain at the time were admirers of Bradlaugh and came out for his funeral. Um, so that really sort of, that's one example, I guess, of kind of this capturing the, these contradictions in, in one person that on the one hand he supported um, or was interested in scientific racism, but then on the other, he was in practical terms sort of advocating for um, non-white mm, people in, in the British empire, for example. Yeah, you know, when I read your book, I was struck by those contradictions that uh, as a historian, you really had to parse out what I took to be complicated, uh, complicated lines and lineages and uh, to really sort of help us understand the, the um, at times strange bedfellows that were, uh, that were drawn together as a result of, um, you know, political action against, uh, you know, racist institutions and, and, and systems. Um, and so on and so forth. And I guess that leads to my second question, which is, uh, what is the what is the gap in the literature that your your book provides? I mean, you've hinted that, at that a little bit in just parsing out some of these contradictions. But you know, in your mind, what was the what was the main impetus for writing it? What 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 needed to be addressed that had not yet been addressed? Yeah. So, um, well, I got I got the idea for for the book um, when I was doing my master's actually. Um, and I was sort of at the time like researching ideas about race, um, particularly in the 19th century. And I was sort of looking at all the different ways in which um, race kind of and racial issues um, sort of intersected with religion. Um, for example, debates over slavery and abolition were really tied up with with Christianity. I mean, in in both cases, people were slave owners were were citing the bible to to defend slavery and um and then abolitionists were also citing the bio, bible to oppose slavery um so so that's that's a case clearly where where religion and race are intersecting and more more theoretical issues i suppose like um debates over evolution and the origins of humanity again the, this is really tied up with with um, debates about atheism and mm, theology and, and so on. And, and also um, uh, these ideas of polygenesis and moly, uh, monogenesis, uh, which I mentioned earlier, again, like this is really tied up with, with theology and with religion. So anyway, as when I was doing my master's, I was sort of coming upon all these different, um, different ways that religion and race or racial ideas intersected. So, uh, and that's, I was sort of noticing, you know, there was nothing about how, um, specifically about how atheists and, and other non-religious people thought about, about race at the time. Um, so that, that sort of led me to, to writing the book. I mean, I did, there are, there were some, articles about individual atheists and and race and there's art um books and articles and things about more specifically about how for example theology like christian theology 
intersects with race. Um, but I, I suppose like a, a, a question kind of in the literature that that my book sort of addresses is is the links between um, secularization itself and and the and racism. So in the literature, one one does kind of get the impression that um, the process of secularization, so the sort of declining authority of Christianity in the 18th and 19th centuries, that helped to sort of open the way for racism. Um, and I, I suppose, and th there's also people who, who argue the opposite case, that it's really Christianity that, that helped to give rise to racism. So I think my, my book kind of fits into that, into that debate um, and give sort of a, a nuanced answer that, I mean, it's, it's too simplistic to say that um, secularization sort of unambiguously causes racism, but then it's, um, there's, but then there's also, there's also some truth to that picture, but it's, it's, um, the, there was also within um, athe among atheists and free thinkers, there was also um, ways one could could oppose racism as well from from a secular perspective. So I think that's where where my book sort of fits into the literature and where I hope to kind of make a contribution. No, it's it's fascinating, and again, it uh, you know it really does draw out the complications and contradictions in all of this. You know that um, the uh, the, the breaking of the authority of Christianity did not was not a linear line a linear sort of uh, line to uh, breaking the you know the, the the racist cultures the racist systems the racist institutions and um, it really is complex and I guess that leads just to a final question for for folks which is um, what are the main takeaways you know it, 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 from your book if I were if I, I have read your book but I'm just wondering you know, in your mind, if I read your book, what is it that you hope that a reader would walk away with, uh, you know, having learned from from uh, your work? I think probably, probably the main thing, I guess, which we've already sort of talked about is, is this issue of com complexity that um, it's really not, not a simple, simple question, you know, uh, I think, like, whenever I was telling people like about about the subject of the book, they would always say, like, you know, oh, so we're we're atheists, more racist or less racist than than Christians, and I mean, I think I think the answer is that it's just that it's it's more complicated than than being one or the other, and I hope that that's probably the main main takeaway is to just sort of gra grasp that that complexity. Um, let me. I mean, another sort of takeaway, I suppose. I mean, I guess there there are many takeaways, but um, another one, I, I guess, is um in, in in the literature about race and racism in, in the 19th century i suppose one one takeaway is that there was um there was kind of resistance to some of these racist ideas even even resistance by by other white people i mean not every not every kind of white person accepted these um ideas about scientific racism and things like that even though they were they were fairly commonplace ideas. There were people who who questioned them. They questioned the idea of, um, you know, using racial science to to pro prove the superiority of certain racial groups. 
um, and they they question the idea of uh, the idea that um, certain civilizations are are more advanced than than another and, and so on so I think like another takeaway I suppose would would also would be this idea of resistance that that existed um, so it wasn't it wasn't a completely bleak uh, picture in the 19th century of, of racism, although obviously that was um, the dominant view. There were people who, who uh, resisted that. Yeah, it's fascinating to think about um, just the theme of resistance and also, you know, how uh, the, the thing, you know, how, how all these things go together in your book in terms of white free thinkers working to resist um, in many ways, the hegemony, hegemony of Christianity, uh, and yet uh, how that sort of did or did not translate into recognizing the need to resist uh, the, raci the racism and the racist structures that were swirling all around them. And uh, you really do a great job in the text of, of drawing these things out. And, and as you said there just, just a minute ago, it's never, it's never that simple. You know, it's just not a, re it's just not a matter of reduction here. And, uh, I, one of the things I appreciate most about your book is just the refusal to do that, is to always try to honor the complexity of the situation, even when it leads, as you mentioned, to contradiction and maybe sometimes to disappointment. You know, there may be people who are reading this who are free thinkers or atheists thinking, oh, I, I hope I can find my inspirational text of how the lines of uh, resistance to, uh, to religious hegemony uh, was, was parallel to the resistance of, of racism. And and sometimes that's true, as you just said, and then other times it, it is not, and uh, it's interesting. Um, all that to say, well, Dr. Alexander, thank you so much for taking the time to pre-record this, uh, this sort of uh, session on your book. We look forward to hearing from you during our live feed, uh, our live session at AAR, along with all the other panelists. And um, you know, we, we hope that uh, you know, you've enjoyed being here and, and, and sharing all this with you. And, um, We'll look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks when we're all together at our virtual AAR. Great. Yeah. Thanks, Brad.